And welcome everyone to our NCAA Social Series, an Olympics edition. We're going to be joined by two Olympians, Alana Myers-Taylor, a former softball player at George Washington, an Olympic bobsledder. And momentarily, we will also be joined by Jake Brown, a former cross-country and track and field athlete at Princeton and St. Olaf, and is now an Olympic biathlon athlete. Alana, welcome to the show. Um, congratulations on yet another Olympics. You are joining us from Switzerland as you guys are training in preparation for Beijing. Uh, your fourth Olympics, which I'm sure never gets old, but uh, what's it like to continuously qualify? Oh man, well, first of all, thanks for having me. And I can tell you this, uh, this past quad or this past four years to qualify has been unlike any other. So this has definitely been the most challenging. You would think as you get more seasoned and as you get more experience, it become easier, but that was the exact opposite case. This has definitely been the hardest team for me personally to make. Why is that? So one of the reasons is I had a son. Uh, so he's almost two years old now. Um, so adding parenthood to the whole challenge of making an Olympic team is, is definitely not without its, its ups and downs, so to speak, uh, but also COVID. I mean, COVID has thrown a wrench into everyone's life and it's no different for elite athletes. Like it's affected our training. It's affected even sometimes our nutrition, our recovery, every aspect as it has everyone else. So actually, let me, let me peel it back and congratulations on obviously becoming a mother and everything else that you've done. Um, with COVID, uh, and obviously we're in a better place now than when we were, but especially, I was thinking about this in bobsled, yes, you got helmets on, but you're together, tight. And early on in the process, we didn't know how easily it was transmitted um, versus the way we know about it now. And obviously things have changed, Delta versus Omicron and all that, but how did the proximity of athlete to athlete really affect the training and the performing amid COVID? So the number one thing we had to do is starting last October, October of 2020 actually, is when we first back, got all back together. And it was the first time I had seen the team since my pregnancy and everything anyways, but we had to pretty much be in a pretty strict bubble. And this was before the vaccines came out too. So we had to live, eat and train all in the same locations and continual testing. And it wasn't really a situation where we can have family or, or friends in our little bubble. And it was very strictly controlled um, in order to make sure we were all tested and we were all safe as possible, you know, masking up and also hand washing and all the things they tell you to do to prevent COVID. So we were pretty strictly controlled in that sense. And then eventually um, the U.S. team actually delayed our start on tour on our World Cup tour, which is our major series to go around the world. But we actually delayed it to January of 20. 21 um, in order to like try to make sure we had everything in place and everybody was safe as possible um, in order to allow us to compete. The transition from a college athlete in softball to bobsled, um, you know, you, you wouldn't think that that would be the natural progression in your athletic career. How, how did that happen? No, uh, most people wouldn't think of that, but I grew up, you know, playing softball and all with the intention that I was going to be a professional softball player and go to the Olympics. Like that's what I wanted to do. And then I was going to be a NCAA college softball coach. That was going to be my life. <laughs> so I had an Olympic tryout at one point and it was an absolute disaster of the tryout. It was the worst tryout in the history of tryouts. Like it was so bad. 
So I wasn't going to make the Olympic team. And then softball was taken out of the games. So I knew in order to fulfill this Olympic dream, I need a new sport. Well, my parents had seen bobsled on TV and were like, hey, why don't you try this sport? They look for strong, fast, powerful athletes and you can get into it later in life. So I was like, sure, why not? Lo and behold, graduated from college. And then the, later that winter, I was out there trying out for the bobsled team just after Googling it and emailing a coach. Well, how, how does someone just start on a sport that you can't necessarily just do on your own? I mean, you can't go, you can't go take batting practice. You can't find someone to play catch with. How do you start initially saying, you know what, this is a sport I'm going to do, but I got to find a place to do it. Yeah. So at the very out onset, they really start with like a combine, like a football style combine. So you run, you lift, you sprint, um, you do jumps, things like that to see if you even have the athletic ability uh, to do it. And then once they determine you do, then they send you up to Lake Placid, New York, and that's when you start learning how to bobsled. So in the U.S., there's only two places to bobsled, Park City, Utah, and Lake Placid, New York. And so they sent me up to Lake Placid, and slowly but surely, they started teaching me how to bobsled. So you start pushing a sled on a rail system. Um, it's a dry land push track. It's got Mondo on either side, and the bobsled is actually on like a railway system. So you start pushing there, and then once you get pretty proficient there uh, not perfect when you get proficient there then they put you on ice and just kind of tell you to go ahead and get after it all right so you obviously can't not have a fear of going fast and probably spinning or you know uh you know going obviously on inclines a lot of these things that you would think as a base as a child that you might have done you know maybe even with a roller coaster i mean so how good were you younger dealing with being in a fast situation spinning around and essentially not having control so uh i am from georgia and in georgia we have lots of hills um and so i don't know if my mom would appreciate me sharing this uh, but they got skateboards when we were little so i used to slide down those hills face first and uh and feet first lying on the skateboard down those hills like you're trying to avoid cars you're trying to do all this stuff but you know i like to think that was my entrance into bobsled but you know nowadays i do get motion sick i am afraid of heights which is kind of funny uh, but i love bobsledding and I, I love what i do so unfortunately for me now that i'm in the pilot seat i'm in the front seat i actually do get to control it and that's what i think is one of the coolest aspects of bobsled ever is i whether i win or lose is literally in my hands all right, so this is going to be an Olympics uh, like no other. Uh, obviously, in the summer games, they experienced that in Tokyo with the strict restrictions, um, no fans. Uh, that's what's going to happen in China. How prepared are you for that? You know, I'm not really sure yet. Um, I, there are maybe going to be Chinese spectators, uh, but we've had two years now, two seasons now without any fans. But traditionally, I really feed off the energy of the fans. So it's definitely going to be different. And it's definitely one of those situations where I'm going to have to create my own energy and really tap into some mental strategies to try and pump myself up and motivate myself. I mean, it's never motivating. It's never not motivating to be at the Olympics. Like you're at the Olympics, fans or no fans. So you're going to be fired up. But just not having that crowd energy is definitely going to be different. Unfortunately um, for me, my son, uh, because he's still breastfeeding, is able to travel with me to China. So he'll be there. He won't be able to be in the stands or anything, but I'll be able to come off the ice and still have him with me. And my husband is a bobsledder, so he's an alternate on the men's team. So he'll be there cheering for me too. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, one thing that's true is 
this is a great TV sport. Um, well, I know that maybe not for the athlete to, to feed off of that, but it's definitely a sport that lends itself, uh, you know, certainly during that time. This is another great example. Tell, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I always, tell, I always tell people they need to at least see bobsled once in person because in person you get that real sense of how fast we're really going and how difficult the sport is. And I'm sure that how whoosh, dangerous it is, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, but after that, you see it once in person, you get the gist, you get the push off at the start, you get how strong and powerful we are and actually how big we are. Um, you see all those kind of things. But then after that, it's way better to watch on TV, trust me. <laughs> so, you know, it's so funny because what you said is such a great example of the importance of being a college athlete, uh, of you never know, um, of where it could lead you, not necessarily down that same path, but you know, potentially to become an Olympian. As you look back at that experience at GW in a different sport, how did that set you up for this? Well, I think one of the biggest things is that as a bobsled pilot, you're a leader in your sport. Um, you lead a team, you manage a team and these kind of things. And at GW, I was team captain for five years. Um, you know, so I was in that leadership position and I really learned it there. And being a part of the student um, athletic associations and different th things like that um, and really leading that team really taught me how to work with other people how to manage a team how to deal with different personalities um, and in softball too you're dealing with personalities of 20 women uh, versus bobsled I have a, a lot less to deal with it's only six of us so um, it taught me a tremendous amount and also bobsled you have a lot of different moving parts all the time there's always plenty of stuff to do but it pales in comparison to what it's like to be an NCAA athlete when you're pulling whatever 18 credit hours and you've got study hall and you're on the uh, practice field 20 plus hours a week and you've got games and all this kind of stuff. So you're managing a lot. And I like to think my experience as an NCAA athlete definitely helped me learn how to manage time management as a bobsledder. Well, Alana, you're doing wonderful things, just not just on the, on the bobsled, but obviously in life. Um, wish you a safe, journey to Beijing and a successful Olympics. Uh, and hopefully everything will just turn out quite well for you and the team. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Take care. And joining me now here on our NCAA social series, Jake Brown, who competed in cross country and track and field at St. Olaf, and now is an Olympian in the biathlon, getting ready for Beijing. All right, Jake, so biathlon. Um, you know, there's, there's running involved, even though it's on skis. Uh, but uh, so there's the cross country track and field. Um, so I'm just trying to grasp how you transition from cross country track and field to biathlon. Help me out. How did it happen? Yeah, so it wasn't a total transition. I, I grew up running and skiing in Minnesota, Minnesota, Minnesota High School League, um, cross country in the fall, cross country skiing in the winter track and field in the spring is kind of the typical thing to do for runners. We don't have indoor track. So skiing is kind of how you keep your fitness for a lot of kids. Um, and then I did the same thing in college, actually. So I had a little bit of an untraditional college experience. I, I went to Princeton for two years and actually just ran there. And then I transferred to St. Olaf and I, I was able to do all three again. And that was really nice for me to come back to skiing and do something that was, you know, Kind of something really familiar to me and something I really enjoyed was part of my high school experience. And then I kept it rolling after after college. So all right, but that's the skiing part. Yep. What about the rifle part? How does that fit in? 
So that was totally new. So how I kind of got involved with biathlon, I really wanted to keep skiing after college if I could. I had some really good results in um, freestyle racing and cross-country skiing. So there are two types. There's freestyle racing, which is more like your legs moving like a hockey skater. And there's classic, which is more you're in the track, kind of what you more think of as your traditional cross-country skiing, where it looks more like you're maybe walking. But, you know, of course, at the highest level, they're absolutely flying on their skis and it's much more upper body heavy. They do a lot of double pulling. I was really good at freestyle skiing, skate skiing. And biathlon is all skate skiing. So for me, I was looking at, hey, maybe if I can learn how to shoot a rifle, I could be competitive in every race instead of feeling like I was only really competitive in half the races. So U.S. Biathlon has a development program where they essentially try to recruit fast skate skiers, freestyle skiers from the college ranks and try to teach you how to shoot. So I had only shot a rifle a couple times in Boy Scout camp growing up. So it really was something that was totally new to me. And, you know, they handed me the thing and I didn't even really know what to do with it or how to put it on my back because we wear it on our back when we ski. And so it, it took me, you know, a few weeks to even figure out the basics. And then it really took me a few years to even feel like I knew what I was doing in biathlon, um, even though I had the, the cross-country skiing background for years. So it was not an easy transition and one that was a lot more difficult than I thought it was going to be in. Honestly, I don't know if I, if I knew it was going to take so many years, if I would have, would have actually gone through with it. But here, help us out because uh, I'm older and my memory of biathlon are, you know, some guy from Norway, Finland, Sweden, you know, it's cold. They got the icicles in the beard and then suddenly they're shooting. Um, and, you know, that's back in the eighties and nineties in those Olympics. Um, at what point, are you transitioning from, you know, actually in the race to skiing, to shooting? How does that work? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I feel like when, when you're in the race, you always have to be cognizant of your effort. But to be honest, man, to be able to compete at the highest level in biathlon, you have to just peg it on skis. So you really are ski racing, essentially, when you're out on the course. There has to be a point before you come into the range that you know, okay, that's my point mentally where I'm going to start breathing a lot more deeply. I'm going to take my mind off of really trying to like press on my skis and I'm going to try to relax and get ready um, for the range, get ready for what's coming ahead. And so how often in the course of a race are you shooting? Uh, obviously you're, you're competing and, and trying to complete the distance portion, but how many times are you shooting? It depends on the race. So it's either two or four times <clears throat> in a race. So <clears throat> it depends. The most simple race is called the sprint race. And it's a 10 kilometer race. So you ski three 3.3K loops, and then you have two shooting bouts. So you ski a 3.3K loop, you come in and you do your prone shooting where you're shooting at five targets. And however many targets you miss, you have to go ski a 150 meter penalty loop. You go back out, you ski 3.3K loop again. You come in, you shoot five targets standing. You do the same thing. If you have a miss, you have to ski one penalty loop. You have two misses, you ski two penalty loops, and then you go as fast as you can and try to get to the finish line on that last 3.3K loop. So there are, more, there are more events that are a little bit more complicated that have more shootings that use spare rounds, but in all of them, it's either two or four shootings. Half of them are lying down, half are standing up. All right, so you reached this incredible goal in a sport that I'm sure that you had no idea that you were going to compete in when you were young, much younger. Um, what's it like to be a first-time Olympian? 
it's exciting. Um, yeah, I don't think I ever really thought that I would have made it to this level. Um, growing up as a cross-country skier, I remember watching 2006 Olympics, guys like Tim Burke and Lowell Bailey, who were longtime stalwarts on the U.S. biathlon team competing in those, those events and, and thinking, wow, that's, that's really neat. That's a high level. But not being a biathlete at the time, not even being that good of a cross-country skier, I never thought I would be competing in the Olympic Games. So to come onto the team, meet those guys, actually train them with them for a couple of years before their final year in 2018 was really neat. And then from there, it kind of seemed like it was a possible thing. But to be honest, it just became something where you take one step at a time, you know, just like anything, you know, when you're really, when you're gearing up for the state meet, when you're just a kid. Um, and that feels like it's a huge deal. You know, you just go out there, you tow the lining, you give it your best. And it's kind of what I've done all the way through whatever race I've been handed to me. And, you know, eventually you find yourself at, at a new level each step of the way. Now, unfortunately, these Olympics obviously don't come um, without any controversy. Obviously, uh, you know, the fact that we're in the middle still of a pandemic has changed what's going to happen in Beijing. Um, you know, no fans uh, at this juncture. Um, obviously, you know, it's been out in the media about uh, Olympians obviously need to be very careful in terms of, you know, getting hacked and all those kinds of things with your phones. Well, how are you approaching the other aspects of these Olympics? Yeah, um, that's a good question. We have a ton of meetings that the USOPC and US Biathlon have set up for us, and it is kind of a bombardment of information. But I think it does show me that, you know, we have two great organizations with our NGB and with the USOPC that are kind of working through a lot of those things. I feel like I'm in really good hands and there isn't really too much to stress about. Um, some of the information is really important for us to have, like, you know, we're not supposed to drink the water over there, for example. So that's kind of a good thing to know. Um, but ensure of like getting all our COVID tests lined up and scheduled and everything like that. Um, I'm not, I'm not too concerned about it. You know, we've all been competing with COVID now for two years. We're used to the no fans. We're used to the testing. I'm sure it will be another level at the Olympics. Um, but I think for everyone, this whole year has been a whole set of challenges that, you know, you've just kind of had to get used to stepping into the unknown a little bit and being okay with that. And I think, you know, going to the Olympics is just going to be another step, um, step into that unknown a little bit. So for me, it's not too big of a, of a stressful thing. You know, one thing that I think you're a great example of is uh, being a college athlete, uh, how it can transition you, not just other aspects of your life, but uh, to other sports. And we've seen this time and time again, especially with Olympians, um, where, you know, the sport, maybe that sport specific is not being offered at a certain school, certainly not at various levels within the NCAA. But how do you think just being a college athlete at Princeton, at St. Olaf, prepared you uh, athletically, emotionally, mentally to, to reach a level like this and transition to a sport that, you know, isn't offered at the collegiate level to this extent? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think for me, um, doing a bunch of different sports growing up really helped with that. You know, I had a pretty like wide athletic base, especially in endurance sport, having running and skiing in my background. Um, a lot of kids who come up through the skiing ranks and end up doing biathlon do a lot of mountain biking too. And I think that's another great sport to kind of have in your back pocket. Um, that kind of touches on a little bit of a different kind of physiology. Um, but for college athletics, the biggest thing is just being able to balance it all. You know, whether you're a multi-sport athlete or especially, you know, 
at a D1 college when it's very, very intensive to even be a single sport athlete, um, to balance that with your studies is the number one difficulty that every athlete faces and every college student knows that. Um, and that doesn't change, you know, even when you're a quote professional, um, doing your sport full time, there's just so much in life that you have to balance and you have to be able to prioritize. And I think, you know, having been a college athlete, that gives me a little bit of a leg up on other people who just came out straight from high school and tried to keep doing um, biathlon or cross country skiing. You know, it allowed me to be able to step back, um, figure out how to have a little more balance in my life, figure out what aspects of training I need to prioritize, even when is it important to take a rest because in, in college, we weren't able to handle those kind of high volumes and you had to be able to say, no, I need to take this workout easier. Um, so I think it, you know, that's really helped me going forward into this new sport for sure. Well, Jake, congratulations on making the team. Uh, and obviously hopefully you get there safely and are able to compete uh, and uh, bring home a medal for the U.S. Congratulations. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. And that'll wrap up this edition of our NCAA social series. As always, we uh, hope our NCAA former athletes do great things and bring home those medals from the Beijing Olympics. And as always, you can check out all our social series at ncaa.org slash social series. Thanks for watching, everyone. Mm -hmm.